going to turn this morning to God's Word. We're turning to the prophecy of Haggai, Haggai chapter 2, and I'm going to read from verse 20 to the end. Haggai chapter 2, verse 20. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Haggai chapter 2, verse 20. And again the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them. And the horses and the riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Now my text this morning is taken from Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 to 23 that I've read. And I want to preach on the theme today that I've entitled, Understanding God's Sovereign Purpose. You see, Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 to 23 is the last out of four sermons preached by the prophet Haggai to certain Jews in the ruined city of Jerusalem. These Jews had returned from the land of their captivity in Babylon. They totaled 50,000 in number. The year was 520 BC. And their task was to rebuild the temple at Jerusalem. Remember, the temple has lain in ruins for 70 years. Every stone, the rubble that they could see, it lay as a silent testimony to the true cost of forsaking God the true cost of departing from his law. These ruins testified this is what apostasy does. Jerusalem itself was also in ruins. The walls had been toppled, the gates had been burned with fire, the treasures had been plundered, tens of thousands had been put to death by the sword, and hundreds of thousands had been exiled to the land of Babylon. They were there for 70 years. And after 70 years, God visited his people. And after the death of the last ruler of Babylon, the Medes and Persians conquered Babylon. And the first king was King Cyrus. And under King Cyrus, the king of Persia, he issued a decree for the Jews to return to their homeland to oversee the rebuilding of the temple. Now remember, the temple is the most important building in the ruined city. 50,000 have returned to start the work of rebuilding. This was a momentous occasion. This, we could say, was a fresh start. This was a new beginning. This was a day of revival. And as they began the work, with all the praise that that would have brought, they discovered it wasn't without its problems. Certain hostile enemies, certain neighbors opposed the rebuilding of the temple. At first they hired counselors to try and interfere in the work. Then they offered to come and assist in the work. And they ended up 
writing to King Cyrus and accusing these Jews of treason. King Cyrus ordered the work to stop. And for 14 years, nothing more was done in the temple. These Jews, they concentrated on building their own homes. This was a day and a period of great apathy. The children of Israel became so busy with their own lives and houses that they lost heart for the work of God. This problem of apathy was not their only problem. They faced this persecuting attack from without, these hostile neighbors. And they also faced the problem of discouragement. You see, the older men stated that this new temple would be nothing in comparison to Solomon's temple. And these problems, apathy, the problem of this persecution and opposition from without, and this problem of discouragement, they had a devastating impact on these uh, remnant Jews. So much so that they had no stomach for the work for 14 years. And then in God's good providence, he raised up Haggai to call the people back to work. Haggai, as I've told you, preached four messages. The first message Haggai preached, Haggai 1, verses 1 to 15, it was a call to repent and to put the Lord first. Matthew 6 and 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. And I believe that's a message that we also need to hear in our day. The church of Jesus Christ is a problem with apathy, a problem with opposition and persecution, a problem with discouragement. Carelessness is set in, slackness is set in, worldliness is set in. In what areas? In knowing God. In Bible reading. Some Christians never read their Bible from one week to the next. The only portion of scripture they read is the one that's read in the house of God in the Lord's day. In relation to prayer. Smallest meeting of the church. Few calls for half nights of prayer and, and nights of prayer despite the state in the land. Where's our passion for souls and our love for witnessing? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Where's our quest for holiness and holy living? See, apathy, carelessness, slackness, worldliness, all has taken its toll. The second message that Haggai preached is in chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. It was a message of good encouragement for God's people. Because he said to them, get your eyes on God's person. Get your eyes on God's presence, God's provision, God's power. The third message, chapter 2, verses 10 to 19, he emphasized the importance of serving God with a pure heart and the beauty of holiness. And he ended up with a promise of divine blessing. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth from this day. Will I bless you? And then the fourth message was preached on exactly the same day as the third message. If you compare chapter 2 verse 10 and chapter 2 verse 20. And this last message was directed to Zerubbabel, the civil leader. See, see, the nation was in turmoil. As I've said, it was a day of great apathy, a day of opposition and persecution by these hostile enemies, a day of great discouragement. And in order to emphasize and reinforce the message that God was able and God was going to bless his people, he wanted the leader and the people to understand, and this is what the fourth message is about, God's 
sovereign purpose. And that's what we're going to think about this morning. I preached this last week in Coleraine. I, I preached it a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night prayer meeting. At least I brought a few thoughts. And that's what we're going to think about uh, at this time. One, think about the sovereignty of God's definite plan. You see, if God is absolutely sovereign, and I believe he is, then he must have a definite plan for world history. He must have a definite plan for creation, for his creatures, for his children, for his church. And when I read Haggai chapter 2, especially verses 22, right down in verse 23, I, I got excited because I discovered God has a definite plan. Here's a statement of fact. Listen to these words. I will shake the heavens and the earth. And I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. And I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. And I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them. And the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord. And I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, six times... In the space of three verses, you should notice that you've got six I wills. We'll call them the I wills of God. And here's what God is saying by way of a statement of fact that he was going to do. He says in verse 22, I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. Who's he thinking about? Well, Nebuchadnezzar, ruler of Babylon, Belteshazzar his successor, Darius the Mede, Cyrus, king of Persia. You see, these men represented the greatest empire in the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of Persia was, for example, stretched from Egypt to India, 127 provinces. And these men were powerful men, men with great authority, Men to be feared. These were totalitarian rulers. And yet, the Lord of hosts is such a sovereign God who controls all the affairs of angels, demons, men, world events, time, all human history. We, we could say about our God, he has the whole world under his control. It's all under his command. You see, Zerubbabel knew what the throne of Cyrus represented. Because at that time, the throne of Cyrus stood for complete, absolute power. Unchallengeable power. Unalterable power. And yet, here's the message. There is the throne of God above every one of these thrones. Revelation 4 and 2 says, And one sat on the throne. And from that throne, God sovereignly dispenses his eternal plan and purpose. You see, God's throne is a throne of absolute greatness, because only God is great. God's throne is a, God of, a throne of absolute government. Holy and pure and just and true government. God's throne is a throne of grace, because that's the basis that he deals with his creatures his children, his church, his creation. 
And God's throne's a God of a throne of glory. And surely that's a message that we need to hear today. A message about the sovereignty of God. And I believe that even in carried off FPC, like it's true of the Free Presbyterian Church, we need a vision of the total sovereignty of God. This is not a mere academic truth. This is not a mere theory. This is not even a great theological truth. But this is a vital truth. And it will inspire confidence. It will bring encouragement. It will breed comfort for the people of God. See, I believe that this is what the church of Jesus Christ needs today. Its leaders and its people. It needs to get a vision of the total sovereignty of God. There's a story told, and I told this on Wednesday night a couple of weeks ago. There's a church in Oregon, the first Christian church, I believe it was called. The pastor had put an ad in the paper. Next Sunday, here's the subject. Whether it was a typo by the pastor, could have been, it could have been me, a dyslexic, or it could have been a typo by the editor who took the phone call. But this is what he wrote in the paper, our God resigns. People saw the funny side. What should it read? Our God reigns. But when you change the letter I, you can turn resigns into reign or reigns into resign. And of course, the text was the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. But isn't it sadly true, however, that in the experience of many of God's people today, they live as if God had resigned. As if God had vacated his throne. As if God had left the stage of world history. As if God had abdicated. Well, here's the message he hasn't. He hasn't handed control to the devil. He even hasn't handed control to the wicked. This world is not out of control. This world is not in chaos. He has the whole world in his hands. It is under his control. And he is working to a definite master plan. Do you know that our God reigns in the heavens now? In the greatness of his power? Reigns in a holy, just and true government? Reigns in grace to bring about the reign of glory? And what he does is all according to his will. He's all wise. All-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. You see, many of us of God's people live in defeat. We live in despair. We live in doubt. We live with great discouragement. And it's very easy to do that when you have your eyes off God's throne. You think of the apostasy of the professing church. I think it's true to say the enemy has invaded the church. Do you know that there's churches in Northern Ireland, like in England, Scotland, and Wales... It's also true in Europe. It's also true in the United States of America and Canada. These churches are openly run by professed, practicing homosexuals. What has happened? They've turned their back on biblical morality. They've set aside the standards of right and wrong. They've thrown the Ten Commandments out of the window. They've abandoned the, the authority of the Scriptures. Do you know that even the Lord's Prayer... They want that changed. It's offensive to them. You see, people see in the church pastors and elders and deacons and they have this badge of honor about them that they want to do what's right in their own eyes. And they're forgetting that the scripture says to the law and to the testimony if they speak 
act, live, not according to this word. It is because there's no light in them. You see, the gospel that these men preach, it's not a, 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 a message that you need to be saved from a life of sin. It's not a message of hope in heaven and a message of uh, deliverance from hell. They, 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 they use God and the things of God and Jesus Christ and his personal work, and they use it for personal fulfillment and gain. We call it the health and wealth gospel, which is a, another gospel. And they deny God's absolute sovereignty. And they put the sovereignty of man above the sovereignty of God. And the cause of world missions is gone. There's no passion for souls. There's no idea or concept of the sanctity of the Lord's day. Some have even fallen foul by just advocating nine out of the ten commandments for today. Support for, for gay marriage. You think of the state of the country. I'm thankful for the protest yesterday against abortion. But there's other moral evils. Homosexual lifestyle. This wokeism. This gender ideology. Drunkenness. Drugs. The party scene. But what is all that? I listened recently to Ken Ham and he says it's a symptom of abandonment of the complete authority of Scripture. And that is true. And that's the state of the church. That's the state of the country. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. And yet despite that doubt and despite the darkness and the despair and the discouragement, even though the church is apostatized, and even though the state of the country is dark and bleak, it's all under God's sovereign control. God controls all events, times, and peoples. Listen to the word of God. In Isaiah 14 and verse 24, it says, The Lord of hosts have sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have proposed, so shall it stand. In Isaiah chapter 40 6 we read remember this and show yourselves men bring it again to mind O ye transgressors remember the former things of old for I am God and there is none else I am God and there's none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my good pleasure this is a statement of fact can I just tell you something else very quickly? It's a statement of focus. God is absolutely sovereign. Discover that today. I'll tell you something else. God is actively sovereign. God is at work. Think of these six I wills. It not only confirms that God has a definite plan and purpose, but, but God is at work to fulfill the plan. God is at work today fulfilling his eternal purpose. He's not going to fail. Notice he says, I will shake the heavens and the earth. The whole of creation is under his control. There's not a part of that creation that's not under his control. God is sovereign even in relation to the weather patterns and, and climate change. He rules the sun, the moon, and the stars and the planets. He, he rules the fish in the sea. He rules over our weather patterns. The seasons of the year are under his control. Seed time and harvest is under his control. Genesis 8 and 22. You see, the wind blows. 
the rain falls, the, 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 the snow comes, the, the ice, it's all under his rule. He's not a weak, impotent, insignificant, irrelevant God. Our God is sovereign in the heavens and in the earth. I'll tell you something else. He's not only an absolute sovereign and an active sovereign, but God is authoritatively sovereign. God can't be overthrown. God can't be overwhelmed. God can't be outsmarted or overcome. He's also an authentic sovereign. He's not pretending. He's not a fake. You see, God's sovereign plan is unchangeable. Malachi 3 and 6, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Psalm 19, 2 says, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Isaiah 40 asks the question in relation to God. In uh, Isaiah 40 and verse 28, listen to these words. Isaiah 40 and 28. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. God's plan is irreversible. He's saying to us, I will do this. Six things he's telling us he's going to do. And you see, what do we discover? Well, you can't fight against God and win. Because God's plan is irresistible. He told Haggai in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 6, For thus saith the Lord of hosts yet once, it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Where is Babylon today, young people? Where are the Medes and the Persians? Where's the great Grecian Empire of Alexander the Great? Where's the Roman Empire? Well, they're gone. Why? Because the kingdom of God prevails over the kingdom of man. And the kingdom of man is not able to withstand the kingdom of God. And God uses droughts, earthquakes, floods, plagues, pandemics, and he brings down the armies of men. Because God's plan is irresistible. And God's plan is unique. Do you know that Haggai chapter 2 verse 6 was used by the Apostle Paul? Turn over there to Hebrews chapter 12 and look with me at verse 26. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 26. Here's an important text of scripture. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised saying, Yet once more I will shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Whose, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God as a consuming fire. You see, Paul applied Haggai 2 and 6 in the book of Hebrews to the furtherance of the gospel and the establishment of God's kingdom. Remember I said it's a kingdom of grace now. That's the basis upon which God deals with the children of men. And of course it's a kingdom of glory and government that's yet to come. 
And all that God is doing in world history today and has been is for the advancement of the cause of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God and the advancement of his own church. In other words, the gospel will succeed. And all world events, empires, emperors, kings and queens and world leaders, they're all under God's sovereign control. It is true that men make choices. Men are accountable for those choices. They're responsible for their choices and for their actions. But men make choices according to the inclination of their sinful heart. But over and above man's choice stands a sovereign God who will fulfill his purpose, bring to pass his definite plan. It's interesting when I read Haggai this, there's not one mention of a precondition. Read it. Not one mention of a precondition. It's not, I will if you do. It's not, I hope to do this. Or I will see what I can do. It's not, well, it all depends on how you respond to me. It's not if you cooperate. You see, nothing can thwart or stop the plan of God. God will be glorified in his fulfillment. God has been sovereign, but he's been resolute here. Can you hear? He's Zerubbabel saying to God, but Lord, we have few numbers. Lord, we have no king. Lord, we have no weapons. Lord, we have no army. Lord, take a wee look at the rubble there. Do you see the state of Jerusalem? There's no gates. There's no walls. Lord, there's no temple. Lord, remember, we're still under Persian rule. We're subjects to Cyrus. If he hears that we're trying to raise an army or bring about a king, we're going to get crushed. Lord, we still have a hostile enemy at the gate. They're powerful. Focus on what God is doing. Focus on my I wills. That's what he was telling Zerubbabel. Zechariah 4 and 6 tells us it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And I, I think that we need to focus on what God is doing. Get our eyes of our circumstances and our situation and on to the Lord. The sovereignty of God's definite plan. Very quickly, the sovereignty of God's delightful portrait. You see, why did God say this? This is the reason. Look, look at our text. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sealtiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, I want you to think of Zerubbabel. Here's a delightful portrait of the man of God. The man of God was chosen. He, he says, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, it's not interesting. Zerubbabel was selected by God. No moral excellence in Zerubbabel. No inherent goodness is mentioned. Chosen not because he was good or merited or, or earned it. It's non-conditional. Why did you choose me, Lord? Here's the answer. Free grace. Free sovereign grace. I have chosen thee because I've chosen thee. And if you turn over there to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, here's a great truth, and I emphasize this uh, in Coleraine because it happened in Coleraine and New Row, the very place where the church is. Ephesians um, chapter 1 and verse 4 tells us, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. 
Not chosen because God foreseen that you would trust Christ. Not chosen because God seen something good in you. Because we're all sinners, dead in trespasses. We're all blind to God. We, we all have wills that are preaved and affections that are diseased. Remember the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. And if we could see our true state as a natural man, we're dead, we're blind, we're diseased. And, and, and how then were we led to lay hold on Christ? We were regenerated by the power of the Spirit of God. You must be born again. We discovered the great truth that salvation is of the Lord. And I discovered that truth as a young man standing outside the lamppost at the police station in Lodge Road in Coleraine many, many years ago after I was converted, after leaving a meeting and, and arguing with the preacher. I asked Christ to be my saviour and he said, I know you did, but where did you get the desire from? Why did you want to get saved? You had no fear, thought or love for God. And all of a sudden, you have that desire. You're conscious of sin. You need a saviour. You want to be saved. Where did that come from? It came from the Spirit of God in the uh, new birth because God had chosen in Christ. Zerubbabel was chosen. But Zerubbabel was certified. If you look at the text again, go back there to Haggai, he says, uh, In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sealdiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet. You see, that, that refers to the king's ring. He used it to seal and certify documents. It was a sign of honor and power. It was a sign that was authority behind the king's message when it was read out. The king has sent us. And that signet was a, 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 a thing of dignity uh, because the ring is chosen. Think of the choosing of an engagement ring or a wedding ring. That signet was a thing of beauty. It was, it, was, it was precious. And God was saying to Zerubbabel, you're precious in my sight, just like a signet ring is precious. See, the king would never really have taken his ring off uh, because he, he didn't want it lost or stolen. When he wore it in court, people recognized that he was wearing the signet ring, a, a most precious object. It was a, a, a thing of security. The word couldn't be broken. It was a sign of authority. It was absolute. And Zerubbabel was described by God, I will make thee as a signet. I will make thee as a, a, a person of dignity, a person of beauty and security and authority. You're, you're certified by me. I'll tell you something else Zerubbabel was called. Do you know Zerubbabel points to the Lord Jesus Christ? He tells us here, and that day saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant. What did he call him? My servant. And it points to Jesus Christ, God's perfect servant. Let me just draw a parallel here. Zerubbabel was from the tribe of Judah. So was the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Zerubbabel was the key figure in the rebuilding of the temple. And who's the key figure in the building of God's spiritual temple today? It's Jesus Christ. Zerubbabel was uh, stirred and moved by the Holy Spirit who received the Holy Spirit without measure, the Lord Jesus Christ at his baptism. Zerubbabel gave himself to the work. The Lord Jesus said, wish ye not, I must be about my father's business. Zerubbabel was a chosen vessel, elect and precious, so was the Lord Jesus Christ. Zerubbabel was, was God's signet so was the Lord Jesus Christ. Zerubbabel was honored by God. 
so was the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God is going to give great blessing to his people. That's what he says in chapter 2, 19. From this day will I bless you. Then 24th day of the ninth month, according to the Jewish calendar. And how is God going to give great blessing to his people today? Well, he does it through the Lord Jesus Christ, not without him. The Lord Jesus Christ is at the center of all of God's plans in human history. And all spiritual blessings come to us through him. Isn't that what Paul says in Ephesians 1 and verse 3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. In Christ, he pardons us. In Christ, he provides for us. In Christ, we are precious to him. In Christ, he has provision and power for us. Oh, that we get our eyes in Christ. Christ is a blessing for you today. You're full of cares and concerns for this life. You're struggling. You're, you're, you're stumbling along. And all that he is and all that he has is for us as people. Isn't it wonderful to know that he's the mediator of the new covenant, the redeemer, the savior, the friend, the Lord, the savior, and the father accepts us because of him. And we are in him. We've died in him. We've been raised in him. We're seated in him. Surely that should be great encouragement today. The sovereignty of God's delightful portrait. I have chosen you. I've certified you. I have called you my servant. That's a wonderful picture of Christ. One final thing. The sovereignty of God's delightful purpose. If you go back to the text that says I will. When was God going to do this? If you link it up with Haggai chapter 2 verse 6. Yet once it is a little while. That speaks of time. You see this was not fulfilled in Zerubbabel's day. Zerubbabel never got to sit on the throne. Zerubbabel never got to wear a king's robe. He did not live to see the king of Persia overthrown it had an initial fulfillment a partial fulfillment but one day it will have a complete and final fulfillment in a little while God says I will do this so not only is there an element of time here but there has to be an element of trust and I finish with this this morning over there in the book of Psalms in Psalm 118 and in the verse uh, 8, we read, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Trust in the Lord. That's the key. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. We must learn to take God at his word. We must stand on the promise. If you read Haggai very carefully, you will read in chapter 2 in particular, 14 times in 12 verses, the Lord of hosts is mentioned. And we need to get our eyes on him. We live in a frightening world, full of calamities. We face powerful enemies in relation to the gospel. People have no longer got the fear of God. And that's true of Northern Ireland. Loyalist communities. So-called Protestant communities have no fear of God. 
and the church is in need of reformation and carried off. We need reformation. We need revival. We need a move of God's spirit. And our hearts are discouraged. But God is able. We have got to focus on the sovereignty of God's definite plan. Focus on God's delightful portrait of his people. Because what was true of Zerubbabel is true of us. And focus on the sovereignty of God's delightful purpose. He has a time when he will favor Zion. And we've got to trust him and take him at his word. And get our eyes on this one that calls himself the Lord of hosts. May the Lord help us this morning as we meditate on his word.